You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Uh, just want to say a sort of unusual thing to start a sermon with, a sort of a little bit of housekeeping about, um, about children. We've always had uh, kids here at the 5 o'clock. As long as I've been here, half of them have been my own. Um, but that, that has uh, been growing. More recently, I've noticed more families with children, and uh, several are expecting newborn children. And uh, one was just born last week, uh, praise God. The Copelands had their son, Asher. Um, and I want to I say something to the kids. So kids, uh, listen up if, if you're a child or a child uh, at heart. Um, I know that it can be difficult to pay attention when adults like me are talking for, for 20 to 25 minutes. But th- these sermons are for you, too. These aren't uh, just for the adults. These, ser- these sermons, these talks are for, for all of us, all the services for, for, for you as well. And I hope you'll talk to your parents about uh, the things that are said in these sermons. And if they're not talking to you about the Bible, make them uh, talk with you about the Bible and, and read it with you. Um, and right now we're reading the book of, of Exodus, which is in the, toward the beginning of the Bible, the second book of the Bible. And as I said a couple weeks ago, this is one of the greatest adventure stories ever told. So at least for this sermon series, there should be a lot for you if you're a child. Um, I mean, it's really rich storytelling. I know that sometimes looking at things like epistles of the New Testament can be difficult, but at least this uh, is a great story. Um, and, but the thing about what we're talking about here with Exodus, this series that we're doing through December, the difference between this adventure story and all other adventure stories, um, at least the ones that are fictional, the difference between all those stories and this one is that it's true. Uh, that this story is true, and the difference between this story and the other stories that we read that are adventure stories is that we can pray to the author. We can pray to the author who's behind the story uh, in Exodus here, because as Paul has told us, all scripture is breathed out by God, and that includes Exodus, which was written, sure, by the hand of Moses, but God was behind it. And so this, uh, today's story is about that man named Moses and when he first met God. Um, remember that two weeks ago we started talking about Exodus. Um, last week we had the stewardship sermon and took a break, but we'll be looking at this through uh, mid-December before Christmas. And chapter 1 was about the family of Israel, uh, Abraham's descendants, who've been in Egypt now for 400 years. And uh, they're now a sort of a great internal nation uh, within Egypt of thousands of people. And there's a new king, uh, a new pharaoh of Egypt, who's threatened by Israel. Uh, so he makes them into slaves because he's afraid of the, the, uh, the, the latent power that they might have. And, and he puts taskmasters over them and makes them to do uh, very hard work. And not only that, he eventually decides to kill the new, all the newborn sons of Israel. Um, and some, through some intervention, this doesn't really happen. 
as well as he had planned, but we find in chapter 2, which we also talked about a couple weeks ago, that one child escapes death as a baby, and that's Moses. And uh, this Moses was found by Pharaoh's own daughter and would be raised in Pharaoh's own household like an Egyptian. Walk like an Egyptian. Um, for 40 years in Pharaoh's household. And when Moses is an adult, uh, for some reason, he's watching a, a fellow Egyptian, per se, kill a, or, or beat a fellow Hebrew. Uh, and he, he uh, steps in and he kills the Egyptian because he has a sense that what's happening here is not right. And Pharaoh finds out and demands that Moses be killed. Uh, his, his own sort of grandfather, as it were, uh, would like to have Moses now killed. And Moses escapes uh, in chapter 2 into a region or a tribe called Midian. And he lives there for about 40 more years. So at this point, he's about 80, okay? Uh, but while he's in Midian, he meets a man named Ruel or Jethro, as we heard uh, today, who's a priest of the people of Midian, and he marries one of Jethro's daughters, and they have children together. So he's living a quiet and peaceful life, about 80 years old now at this point, in the wilderness of Midian, and uh, he's a shepherd out there living peacefully for a time. And then we have our passage today. It's sort of like, you know, the, um, the cowboy movies. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, right? Meanwhile, back in Egypt. After all that, you know, life goes on for those 40 years in, in Egypt for the Hebrews, for all the other Hebrews who are still slaves with heavy burdens and taskmasters. It's no easy life for them. Actually, it's a really terrible life. Um, and uh, there's a bit at the end of chapter 2 that unfortunately we've skipped for our reading today. And I just want to take a look at that. So if you have a Bible or a pew Bible, find Exodus chapter 2, starting at the 23rd verse, the last two verses. Four, or three verses, sorry, of the chapter. Um, it's easy to find. It's toward the beginning. It's the second book in the Bible. Um, Exodus chapter 2. At the very end here, we have a sort of frame or a context for why we have the passage that comes next in chapter 3 that we've read today. This is the sort of inciting incident for all of Exodus, really the exodus of Israel from Egypt. This is like, you know, the tornado in Wizard of Oz? Like the whole story of Wizard of Oz couldn't have happened without the tornado, but you don't really think about it too much, but it's there in the beginning and you know about it. Or the word rosebud in Citizen Kane, you know? The inciting incident at the beginning of the story, and, and it's what ushers us in. And here we have it in the end of uh, Exodus chapter 2, starting at the 23rd verse. Remember, Moses is in Midian, and meanwhile, back at Egypt. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. So the, the offspring of Abraham, we learn here, will not be defined by their years of slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. Rather, they will be defined by the promise, the, the promised covenant relationship 
that they have with God through Abraham. The God who uh, made a promise for their forefather Abraham uh, and, the, and the God who now hears their cries and is going to do something about it and not be an aloof deity, but is going to, as it says here, come down to them. The way God acts uh, here is by finding that lone Hebrew in Midian, Moses. Remember, Moses is shepherding in the wilderness. And while he's out there, you know, just sort of doing his normal mundane work, he sees a bush on fire, but the fire is not uh, consumed, consuming the bush. The bush remains. And we find out that God is actually in the bush And he calls to Moses, revealing who he is. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is the God of that promise, the promise that was made long ago to his forefather Abraham. And indeed, he tells Moses, who hasn't been in Egypt, remember, for 40 years. He tells Moses this. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so again, the the God of Israel has heard his people's cries of affliction And he now comes down to them uh, for deliverance, or for rescue, you might say. And not only for rescue, but also for a blessing. He's going to give them a promised land, a land rich with milk and honey. In addition, God tells Moses, uh, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, Moses rightly asks, you know, wait, what? Are you kidding? Who, me? <laughs> I haven't even been there for 40 years. And, and me, of all people, you know, like I'm this 80-year-old shepherd out here in the wilderness. And he, so he says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God doesn't answer the question directly, but he provides assurance by saying, I will be with you. You know, Moses says, who am I that I should do this task? And God says, don't worry, I will be with you. And the second question Moses asked in our passage today, and really a full sermon could be dedicated to this topic, but I'm trying to talk about everything that's in uh, chapter 3, so I don't have enough time to sort of dwell on the answer to his second question, but it's super important. It might be the most important uh, question and answer in the entire Bible. Um, He says, Moses says to God, what is your name, basically? And God's answer is, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me. Basically saying, I'm the self-sufficient creator of the universe. Uh, Before everything else, you know, uh, I am. I don't need people. Uh, but out of the, the, the sort of generosity and love of my heart, I created the whole universe. And not only that, all of humanity, I am, I am, I'm Yahweh, the God of uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the God, of, uh, the God above all gods. Uh, and not only that, but the, the, uh, he's the God of Abraham, who's returned uh, to 
the people of Abraham, the descendants, to fulfill his promise that he's made to them to release them from captivity so that they might live. I've mentioned this once before in a sermon uh, and elsewhere. I know some of you have heard it earlier this week. And I'll continue to use uh, this metaphor until you find me a better one. Maybe uh, I ought to reread Aldous Huxley's A Strange New World. Um, But have you seen the movie The Matrix? Have you seen the movie The Matrix? If you haven't, I mean, there's a lot of violence, so I'll tell you that. If you can't stomach it, don't watch it for that reason. Because I'm going to tell you basically the plot of, of the movie because it's, it's perhaps my favorite contemporary Exodus analogy uh, for understanding uh, what's happening here, and not just here, what the ramification of this story is for all of humanity. Basically, the matrix goes like this. It, was, it came out in 1999 uh, when I was a really young man, and I thought it was the coolest thing on earth. Um, it's so funny to think, gosh, this movie is... 18 years old? Keanu Reeves, what is he, like pushing 60 now? Um, the Matrix is basically this future world where you know humanity has created robots and the robots went to war with humanity and the robots won, but they need a power source. So what do they do? They turn people into batteries by putting them into these pods and using the warmth of their bodies to create energy to power the robot computer world. But people aren't just going to sit in pods, right? So they've got to placate them somehow. So they drill holes in the back of their head and stick this thing into the portals in their head to hook them up to a virtual reality that they think is the real world. They're living in a dream world. They don't realize that they're actually in these pods, right? And they think what they see in this computer false reality is the real world. But some people have always been out of the matrix, and they go in to the computer system and rescue people out of the matrix. And they're able to get out of the pods and live in reality. And the difference between, and there's a guy who's the main uh, protagonist of the movie, and his name is Neo, who is allowed to come out of the matrix, and he basically is the kind of Christ figure who saves everybody. But he's not as good as Jesus. Um, The difference between Neo and most others in the matrix is that he has this internal groaning a longing, that there must be more to life. Surely there must be more to life. And not only that, he feels like the life that he lives is a type of slavery, that he must be in bondage. And there are two other people who who rescue him from the Matrix. Their names are Trinity and Morpheus. And I'm going to read to you two famous quotes from that movie. Just watch the first one if you're going to watch them. The other two stink, especially the third one. The first one could have stood on its own. Quit while you're ahead, you know? Um, But Trinity says to Neo while he's still in the Matrix, I know why you're here, Neo. I know what you've been doing, why you hardly sleep, why you live alone, and why night after night you sit by your computer looking for him. She's talking about Morpheus, and I'll read a quote from him. You're looking for him. I know because I I was once looking for the same thing. And when he found me, he told me I wasn't really looking for him. I was looking for an answer. It's the question that drives us, Neo. It's the question that brought you here. You know the question just as I did. And later when he finally meets Morpheus, who's able to take him out of the Matrix, Morpheus says to him, right before he's going to leave the Matrix, he says, what you know, uh, what you, know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. 
You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you seemed so sure it was real, but were unable to wake up from that dream? How would you tell the difference between the dream world and the real world? I want to say something to you that most people think would think is like absolutely crazy. And it's actually the question I had when I watched the movie, and so many people did. I think we actually live in a type of dystopian reality that's like this. Uh, you know, it might not be exactly the same as the Matrix, but uh, we're like the people of Israel and Egypt. We're in a type of captivity. And most of us don't even know it. This is the, the background story to the Bible that we're in a type of captivity that's a lot like sort of what Trinity and Morpheus were explaining here. But most of us not only don't know it, they don't want to accept it. We're living in a type of slavery that's a, a, very akin to the plot of the Matrix. Most have a longing that there must be more to life. We think that we can, what we see is reality, but we're actually in the dark. And we ask ourselves often, is there someone who will deliver me or something that will deliver me from the sort of nightmare that I'm living in? Indeed, just as God heard the groans of Israel, remember at the very end of chapter 2 of Exodus, verses 23 through 25, he has heard the groans of all people, actually, not just Israel. There's a rest of the story. There's so many other books after Exodus in the Bible. He's not only heard the groans of all people, he's heard the groan of creation. All of creation is groaning with this longing that there must be something more to life. In Romans uh, chapter 8, Paul says, the whole creation groans inwardly for redemption. And then remember what John wrote at the very beginning of his gospel about Jesus Christ being the light of the world. He says, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. True light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the story of how God would deliver all of humanity in just the same way he did for Israel, through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, if you read, you know, there are several different accounts of the transfiguration, but if you read Luke's version of the transfiguration, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and he encounters a vision of Elijah and Moses, he says to the two of them, and behold, uh, we read uh, uh, Luke explaining, and behold, two men were talking to him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And if you look up the Greek here of the word departure, it's the word exodon, basically exodus. And this is very deliberate for all the reasons that I'm talking about. This is why Paul would say later in Colossians, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ accomplished an even greater exodus for all of humanity, 
from the realm of darkness that is this life to the true promised land, a new creation, eternity. This is what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's a type of exodus. Or rather, the exodus of Israel was a type of the greater exodus that was to come for all of humanity, and not only all of humanity, all of creation. And don't get me wrong, there's, there's plenty of beauty in this world. Uh, and there's plenty of positivity in this world, just as there was in the Matrix, you know? Uh, and, I, and I don't think that we ought to long to escape this world per se. That's not what I'm talking about. As a matter of fact, God created this world and this life to be good, but something has gone terribly wrong and distorted everything. But if you feel like life is a type of bondage with afflictions, that there must be something more to life, that there's something wrong with the world, that life can be a type of tragedy, then have hope. Because Yahweh, the one true God, remembers his people. He hears their groanings, and he keeps his promises. And who exactly are his people? The true Israel are now those who know Jesus to be the only way to life. Remember in John's Gospel uh, that we read today, Jesus says, uh, I am. Uh, And he has a lot of these I am statements in John's Gospel. He was deliberately saying, I am who I am. He even said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's the same Yahweh who met Moses at the burning bush. And those who trust in him to be the true way to life are now his people in the same way that Israel was. And what about his promises? What are his promises? Just as he promised to Abraham in his old covenant, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. He also promised the people of the new covenant, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Just as he told Joshua, I will not leave you or forsake you. He also tells us where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. Right now, he will never leave us or forsake us. He's here. He's with us. God hears the the inward groanings of your heart. Even the ones that you pretend aren't there. Maybe to all the world or even to yourself or the ones that you think are unsolvable, and the ones that uh, you know all too well, you know, divorce, abuse, addiction, mourning, difficulty in marriage, or anything else that might afflict you in this life, God hears the inward groanings of your heart. And if it hasn't yet, pain will eventually come home to roost for you. And the reason I know this is that all eventually die, and death is the ultimate hurt. Just as he heard the groans of Israel and delivered them out of bondage, he has come down to deliver you out of the hand of darkness. Not only that, but into the promised land of light. And just as he reassured Moses, saying, I will be with you the rest of the way, Yahweh will not leave you or forsake you. Listen, maybe uh, you're skeptical about all that I'm saying. And as I've said before, I've been there before. Most of my life, I was skeptical, I was dubious of this message and thought it was crazy and anybody who believed it was ignorant and didn't deserve being listened to. Maybe you're like that. You think that all that I'm saying is too far-fetched. Just as I spoke directly to the children earlier in this sermon, let me speak directly to you. 
I want you to consider the difference between uh, the, the matrix and the story of Israel and the story of Jesus Christ coming to earth. And it's the same thing that I told the children, is that it is true. And not only that, he has come to set you free from the darkness that you feel in your heart. Turn to him and accept him as your creator, and not only your creator, but your rescuer. Pray to the author of this story and ask that this be so for you. Or maybe you're just a long-time uh, Christian who does trust in Jesus Christ, and you're totally there with me in all that I'm saying. And so finally I say to you, be reminded that you're no longer a child of darkness, no longer a slave. You've been made aware that there is indeed more to life, and you've been released from your captivity. Don't go back to the dystopia. Rather, live your life in light of your blessing. Don't be like the Hebrews who longed to go back to the other side of the Red Sea, who longed for the meat pots in Egypt, right? Whatever that is for you, don't go back to the dystopia, but stay on this side of the Red Sea and live in constant worship of your God who has set you free. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.